Roger Ebert once said, No good movie is too long, and no bad movie is short enough. This quote lives on my letterbox profile. It found its way there after I saw Best Picture Contender, Killers of the Flower Moon. There was some discourse in our community about the movie being too long. And while I don't necessarily agree that a long movie can't be amazing, I will admit that I felt that runtime from Scorsese's last outing. Friends of mine who aren't a part of the film community have started making comments that movies need to go back to a tight 90 minutes. Or I hear family members say, movies are getting longer and longer. And if I'm being honest, I have even on occasion paused a movie while watching at home to check the time mark on how much time is left. In today's fast-paced world of connectivity, TikTok, YouTube, and social media grabbing for our attention every moment of the day, have we lost our patience with a movie that demands more of our attention? Why does it feel different to binge-watch Game of Thrones over 70 hours of premium television than it does to sit down for over two to watch Best Picture winner The Shape of Water? And with the amount of options at offer, are movies just getting too darn long? Welcome to Another Lens. My name's Jay Kennedy, and I like movies. On this show, I'd like to explore what's happening today in the world of film, dive into Hollywood's short history, and share with you my thoughts about what's rattling around in my head when it comes to movies. So if you'll join me, grab a hot cup, get comfy, and let's take a look from another lens. I've got this buddy that I've known since I was a kid. We grew up a few doors down from one another on a quiet suburban street littered with semi-attached houses, a short 45-minute train from Toronto. Growing up, we played a lot of road hockey, dared one another into bike races, and he genuinely got his kicks, pranking and making fun of all of us on the street. We were stupid boys in the 80s and very stupid teens in the 90s. But today, he's one of my best friends in the world and even stood up and spoke at my wedding. He's that buddy that when you were kids, you knew were always around, but didn't really get to know him as a person until you were in your 20s. And now, we're closer than some of the other people I knew when we were kids. He will often send me movie recommendations, and to be fair, his taste is exceptional. I've never told him a recommendation he's sent is straight trash before, but lately, he's been adding the line tight 90 to his text message reviews. It drives me crazy. Don't tell me how long the movie you like is. I don't care, as long as it's good. Also, before we dive in, be forewarned that in my research, the majority of popular movies that are a quote-unquote tight 90 have been made by Walt Disney and feature talking animals. But what does playing with a runtime do to help a movie? It could do plenty. It could help with a complicated plot. It could add much needed character moments or even give a film more epic scope. Think of the Lord of the Rings. 
It would be lesser if you remove those sweeping vista moments of the fellowship walking and showcasing how the world looks and feels. You can build character relationships more in depth like Legolas and Gimli's rewarding friendship. And historically, longer genre pieces have won more awards than, say, a 90-minute comedy. But pulling scenes that don't work from a film's vision are equally detrimental to a movie's overall story. Plucking and editing help pace your film so that your audience doesn't get restless. Last year, two movies did make me sit down and consider the idea of the length of a film. The first was Killers of the Flower Moon, a movie that I think is very well made, is an excellent story with interesting characters. But it's also the first time I've seen a movie and walked out to, hmm, maybe that should have been a miniseries. I certainly didn't say that about Scorsese's The Irishman a few years prior, but I did about this. I would have liked to spend more time with the anguish of Lily Gladstone's character and the lack of remorse from DiCaprio's Ernest and De Niro's Hale. The film's sprawling timeline, I thought, would have made for four episodes easily. But because it was compacted into 206 minutes, or nearly three and a half hours, I felt like I was missing that. Not to take anything away from Gladstone's performance, which shattered me. I just would have liked more time spent in those characters. And it's interesting that I had this feeling about a film that was released in theaters, but created knowing it would be viewed on Apple TV+, Plus, where it now lives for all to stream. The film has been nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It also just scooped up a Golden Globe for the aforementioned Gladstone's performance of Molly Burkhart, an indigenous woman who attends funeral after funeral for her family members and people unaware that her husband is responsible for their murders. But at three and a half hours, one sitting of Killers of the Flower Moon might be enough for me. I saw it in theaters, and at times I felt that runtime. Podcasts and other articles were released about the same scenario. In fact, a TikTok clip in our hashtag film talk community went viral when a content maker said, it's over three hours long, that's the review. And for a week, the community were reacting to that review very harshly. But hey, like what you like, I'm not judging. I think the film's fantastic, but you're going to feel that runtime. The second film is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The film runs at 140 minutes, close to the two-hour 30-minute mark. It ends on somewhat of a cliffhanger, and to be completely honest, I wanted more. I truly believe they could have given us 40 more minutes of story and had a truly incredible finale. But instead, they pulled the plug early and let us know there's another movie to come back to. Hitting us on the head with To Be Continued may have been up to the filmmakers, but I think there's more to it than that. Across the Spider-Verse's ending was likely strategic. With the massive theatrical release and a shorter runtime, you can turn the theater over more often to rescreen and sell more tickets for profit. Let's say a movie theater opens at 12 p.m., but everyone has to leave before 1 a.m., and you factor in 30 minutes to clean and get new people seated before the next showtime. You can run across the Spider-Verse four times in one theater. Referring back to Killers of the Flower Moon, you can only run that film in the same theater three times. 
And just to reference my buddy and his quote-unquote tight 90 mentality, a 90-minute film could have been flipped six times in the same theater. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse doubled the original in box office dollars and is 23 minutes longer. And here's one way longer could in fact be a good thing. Money. Dollars. Moolah. When you look at the top five highest grossing films of all time, all of them are over two hours long. Three of them are over three hours long, with the longest sitting at number four of all time, 1997's Titanic. In fact, if you average out the run times of the Lifetime Top 10, you'll get two hours and 34 minutes. Among those films lives 2019's remake of The Lion King, a film that added a solid half hour to its runtime from the animated original to get it to two hours. So lengthwise, I think it's true what Roger Ebert said. No good movie can be long enough. And the proof is in the profits. But has it always been this way? I've gone back through the years, researching the most popular movies of the period and also the most profitable. These were the movies that everyone was watching at the time, and I've also included classics from the decade that people still go back to today. I can only imagine that these are a part of their movies are longer today thinking. Let's take a look at what the average length of time of all these films were decade to decade. This should give us a better idea if we are actually seeing longer movies today. So let's go back to the 1930s when the big heavy hitters of cinema's history started to release. You had the mega hits like Frankenstein starring Boris Karloff and the legendary stop motion effects of King Kong. But you also had Walt Disney release his first ever feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It Happened One Night took home Best Picture and became at least my favorite Frank Capra film. And while Gone with the Wind certainly rewrote the curve with a nearly four-hour presentation, the runtimes were pretty short in the 30s at 111 minutes or one hour and 51 minutes. But something else happened. The 30s gave rise to the double feature during the Great Depression. A double feature would usually consist of a main big-budget movie and a lower-tier B-film. The B-films of this time were around 60 to 75 minutes long, and they were poorer in quality. But theaters could charge an additional rate for the double-feature ticket. Some examples of these pictures were The Black Cat, Reefer Madness, and The Bride of Frankenstein, with an average running time of about 68 minutes. With World War II in full effect across the globe, the 1940s were all about escapism. Popular films like Samson and Delilah, an epic romantic drama, would run past the two-hour mark. But then you had Pinocchio and Song of the South all coming in around that 90-minute mark that so many adore. Bambi, the highest-grossing movie of the decade, was only 70 minutes long. Then you have the movies that are still popular today, but didn't make a ton of money then. The real turning point for the screwball comedy, Howard Hawks' His Girl Friday, came in at a cool 92 minutes. Or how about Casablanca with 1 hour and 12 minutes? But even after including Citizen Kane's 2 hour runtime, the 1940s are still coming in at 1 hour and 53 minutes on average for the entire decade. Now once the war had ended, the 1950s demanded a new normal. 
the GI Bill gave veterans more favorable terms for mortgages, and the housing boom began. No pun intended, but the baby boomers were birthed en masse, and expansions of infrastructure sprawled out from metropolis centers, creating the suburbs that we still know today. And people went to the movies, and boy, were epics the tone of the time. The biggest movies were things like Quavadi, a Roman Empire epic, or Charlton Heston's Moses in the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur with its infamous chariot race. Sidebar, as many as a hundred horses were killed during the filming of that scene. The AHA wouldn't stamp the familiar phrase, no animals were harmed, in movies until 1972. All three of these films were over two and a half hours long. The Heston films clocked in over three and a half hours. Family favorites Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp, and Peter Pan kept her in times low, all just over an hour in the 75-minute range. But even Disney would have to change tactics soon, as the average runtime for movies in the 1950s was now two hours and eight minutes. The 1960s kept the momentum going with more sweeping epics all designed to get viewers away from their television sets and back into movie theaters. The Sound of Music, Lawrence of Arabia, Spartacus, and Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey averaged three hours and seven minutes long. The dying Western genre found new unforgettable classics with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And then one of the biggest introductions to the cinematic landscape. James Bond was introduced to theatergoers in the 1960s with Dr. No and the next two Connery-led sequels would top their year's box office. But honestly, have you ever seen a 90-minute Bond flick? In the 60s, they averaged two hours. The series as a whole, including Craig's renditions, only added six minutes to the average, so fairly consistent if you ask me. And the average runtime for the 1960s decade would go up again to 2 hours and 19 minutes. Rocky, Star Wars, Jaws, The Godfather, Grease, these movies were products of the 1970s. It was the birth of the blockbuster, literally coined because people would line around the block for a screening of a new movie. Movies were now events, and there were a lot more of them. More independent filmmakers were releasing more movies, like Carpenter's Halloween and Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that meant there was more money to be made. The average runtime had to accommodate this. In the 1970s, for the first time in four decades, the average runtime didn't go up, but went down at two hours and three minutes. And the lengths of movies remained relatively the same in the 1980s. The 1970s blockbusters created sequels and franchises, new characters went on special effects-driven adventures in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Die Hard, Back to the Future, and E.T. John Hughes made audiences remember how hard high school was with The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. Tom Cruise solidified himself as a movie star with Risky Business, Rain Man, and Top Gun. And the world was given a new big-budget superhero movie with Tim Burton's Batman. And the runtime dropped again to just one hour 
and 59 minutes on average for the most popular movies of the 1980s. And it was about to change again. The 1990s saw runtimes rise with two hours and nine minutes on average. And yes, this average was in big part due to the biggest movie of the decade doing some reworking of the curve. Titanic's runtime of three hours and 14 minutes definitely does set it apart. Here's a fun story that will definitely date me. When Titanic came out, I was in the 11th grade. I had a crush on this girl since I was 12 when we went to the same elementary school. Every day, we would walk past one another in this catwalk, which if you're not from Canada, just means a fenced off sidewalk that connected two neighboring streets, sort of like an alley. She would be coming home from the all-girls high school that she went to after graduating 8th grade, and I was walking home from the Catholic high school I went to. And I remember walking past her, mustering up all the courage my skinny little frame could muster, and blurting out, Hey, do you want to go see Titanic with me? She answered, I've already seen it. I said okay, and kept walking, completely dejected. But of course she'd already seen it. In 1998, a month after its release, everyone was talking about it. Everyone had seen it. In fact, even though the run times come in over three hours, I saw it four times in theaters. But I will never forget being turned down before my third viewing. Fun fact, the tight 90 guy I told you about earlier, yeah, he took that girl to prom. And somehow, I am still friends with him. I hope he's listening, and I hope he feels guilty. So let's remove Titanic. Yes, it was the movie everyone was seeing and would be a staple in movie knowledge for this generation, claiming that movies today are too long. But would it change things? Actually, only by three minutes. With, pardon the pun, titanically long movies like Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, Independence Day, and The Matrix, all clocking in over two hours, the long runtime stands. Sure, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King were all massive hits at one hour and 30 minutes, but there was just too many juggernauts in the 90s that were clocking in over two hours. Ghost, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Forrest Gump, The Shawshank Redemption, and The Fugitive are some of the most popular that come to mind. Then the rise of the sequel arrived in the 2000s. The big box office winners from those 10 years averaged out a runtime of 2 hours and 33 minutes. These were movies like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, the Harry Potter series, the Dark Knight, and Mission Impossible 2. When we factor in other hit movies of the decade like Spider-Man, Iron Man, and all of the wonderful Pixar films that were released like Ratatouille, WALL-E, Up, Finding Nemo, and even The Incredibles, we are sitting at an average runtime for the decade of 2 hours and 13 minutes. In fact, we're now seeing longer runtimes on those animated movies that we hadn't seen before as well. So now that we've hit the new millennium, we are seeing that the runtimes are going up for popular movies. Not as high as the 1960s, mind you, but we're seeing it go back up. And I think it's important to note that with fantasy and science fiction films beginning to take over, longer runtimes are necessary to world build. So when we think of movies like Twilight and The Hunger Games, these all have longer runtimes because it takes longer to really understand the rules of these worlds 
and take longer to pull you into their stranger than fiction universes. And the fantasy superhero sequel movies really begin to drive revenue at this time. After the massive success of Lord of the Rings, more studios would implement sequels, filming multiple pictures in one go. And sometimes studios would make the decision to break a story up that could be told in one movie into two, only to increase their profits. And instead of shortening those films to a quote-unquote tight 90, the filmmakers would expand with new ideas that could keep their audiences engaged. This could sometimes be done with more action sequences. Think the Transformers franchise. Those stories could all be told a lot quicker, but extending the action scenes put them well into the two-plus-hour runtimes, and that's what the fans of that franchise are looking for. So we've reached the 2010s, the time of severe upheaval in the movie-going world. We have streaming services competing for your attention and your dollars. We have superhero movies, a plenty, and I'll admit it, I didn't see it coming, but we have an increase in average length of popular movies again, two hours and 10 minutes. And to be honest, I tried to skew this with more popular movies that live outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I added Thriller's Knives Out and Parasite, both over two hours. I added Toy Story 3, Coco, and Inside Out, all clocking in over the usual 90-minute animated film. And while nothing else hit the three-hour mark like Avengers Endgame, the consistency of movies over two hours were enough to continue this upward trend. And so we come to today, or the last three years of the 2020s. Most notably, the Best Picture contender Oppenheimer, being the favorite to take home Oscar and one of the most popular films of the last year, sits at three hours and one minute. And even though it's early in this new decade and we don't have all the information, we're sitting at an average runtime of 2 hours and 18 minutes. That is one minute shy of the record-holding 1960s. Films in the 1960s often contain themes about social and political change, addressing issues like civil rights and the counterculture movement. Today, movies do the same, addressing contemporary issues, including diversity, equality, and environmental concerns. I touched a little bit on this in the Woke episode, and with more emphasis on these themes, sometimes a longer runtime can help hammer home your points. You have more time for an audience to identify themselves in characters that they may not normally see themselves in. And sometimes they are so good that you don't even feel that runtime. 2022's RRR from India is one such film that made me cry, laugh, and cheer for every amazing second of its three-plus-hour runtime. Independent cinema has grown exponentially, forcing filmgoers to find the more unpopular titles. The 60s also experienced the rapid emergence of independent filmmakers challenging traditional studio norms. This led to the decline of the studio system and the new era of Hollywood. And that's also something we can see mirrored today. A studio like A24 skirts around the boundaries of what a traditional Hollywood studio can do. And we saw that movies did get longer the less that people were interested in the product. The epics of the 1950s and 60s were made to entice people from the new invention of the television, not to mention the addition of color on the big screen that completely blew people away to really get that experience they couldn't find at home. And that meant extending movie runtimes for viewers not looking for those 20-minute sitcoms 
Today, with the digital spaces we live in, movies are also not grabbing our attention. So the longer runtimes at least let filmgoers feel like they're getting more bang for their buck. So have movies gotten longer? Yeah, it definitely looks that way. Like everything, movies that people are watching do go in ebbs and flows. When films were on the decline, a radical change was made to drive audiences back. And it actually shortened their lengths. The 70s, 80s, and 90s may have seen shorter runtimes, but they offered up something else. A quantity of movies and filmmakers. When you look at the big popular movies of the last 20 years, sequels run amok. When you go back and see the big popular movies prior to this time, there's a lot of variety. Something the big studios of today aren't offering en masse to the general movie going public. And I'm not sure if shortening the films really is a solution here. From last year's most popular movies, the only one that qualifies as a tight 90 was the Super Mario Brothers movie. And that's still made over a billion dollars. Oppenheimer is three hours and is the number three moneymaker of the year. So I come back to that Roger Ebert quote. No good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough. So knowing what we know now, I can only wonder if my friends and family are just spending too much time with bad movies. I really appreciate you sticking through to the end. Reach out to me anytime at j.kennedy at outlook.com. New episodes are available weekly, so be sure to subscribe for the next one. I'm Jay Kennedy, and you've been listening to Another Lens. The show will be back soon with another perspective.